Solomon Kinley in the backfield. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And Tua throwing the other way to a wide open Durham Smythe for the touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show, show, show. Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. to you glad to have you with us here and as we continue on happy new year 2023 and of course on today's show take a very serious tone after witnessing what we saw last night on monday night football the breaking news which continues on today of what happened to buffalo bill safety demar hamlin last night we will talk about that get you the latest we will give you some thoughts. We will hear from our guests today, including Dr. Christina Madison, who joins us regularly. And uh, we're going to get her thoughts on what she saw last night and try to find out uh, more about uh, what uh, the prognosis and the diagnosis is for uh, DeMar Hamlin. Also today on the show, we will talk uh, plenty of football as well, too. Houston Nutt will join us from CBS Sports, the former football coach himself, as we talk college football playoff and preview the championship game. Chuck Esposito will join us over at Red Rock as well, too. Talk uh, a lot about the the betting aspects, not only of this coming week's games, week number 18, the you know, the final regular season week for NFL football, uh, but also uh, what transpired last night from a betting perspective on the postponement of the Bills and Bengals game as well, too. So uh, that is a little bit of a controversial topic from a sports betting perspective, because not all sports books treat that the same way. So uh, we will hit that for you today. We'll give you some terrible Tuesday takes as well, too, as we normally do on uh, our Tuesday edition of the show. But again, to um, talk about what transpired um, last night, obviously it is the bre- it is the breaking news um, of DeMar Hamlin, where the game last night between Buffalo and Cincinnati really took a strange and different turn. Uh, everyone was looking forward to this game when we were at the Westgate yesterday at the Superbook. You know, one of the reasons we did the show on the road yesterday was because it was New Year's Day, the Rose Bowl. We had uh, so many uh, good bowl games, but we were there to preview last night's Monday Night Football game because it had so many important football implications for you know playoff seeding with the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. But midway through the first quarter, everything turned differently. It turned to a very serious and somber note as DeMar Hamblin went to make a tackle on Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins. And when he made the tackle, uh, he actually got up. And then he fell backwards and collapsed. Now, immediately, if you saw the play live or you watched any of the replays, and I know I can tell you, as I was watching this last night, I looked at this, and when I went back and looked at it several times again later last night and, and today, most of the players immediately just walked away because they thought, okay, he went down, but you know, he's, he's fine. He's okay. And then as a few more seconds went off, then there was some first a Bengals player that looked and said, wait a minute, he's not moving. And then the medical personnel rushed onto the field. Um, and at that point in time, there was a lot of unknown. Uh, cameras weren't close enough to DeMar Hamlin as Bill's players gathered around him and formed a wall. The severity of this, we did not know at that point in time. But the longer that we saw this, we realized that the severity was near fatal. His heart stopped. Medical personnel restored his heartbeat on the field. He laid there for approximately 10 minutes. 
He was put into an ambulance, taken to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. He has been in ICU, in the intensive care unit, since last night, and was listed in critical condition and still today listed in critical condition. We hear he is on a uh, breathing ventilator, and that's what we basically knew when we left this last night. And again, so everything turned from wanting to see a high, intense, meaningful NFL football game to shock. Now, for a lot of of people, they may have never seen anything like this before. There have been instances in the National Football League, but you've got to go back 25, 35, 40 years ago where we didn't see near death, but we saw players lay motionless. Daryl Stingley comes to mind, former New England Patriot against the Raiders going back into the 70s. Mike Utley, you know, when he was paralyzed in a game for the Detroit Lions. Um, There was a player back in 1971 who played for the Detroit Lions, uh, actually died uh, in a football game. He's the only player that's ever died during the course of a football game. And uh, he wasn't pronounced dead until hours later, but the cause of death transpired on that football field. So what we saw last night uh, was totally shocking and disturbing as we saw DeMar Hamblin collapse, fall backwards, and see the medical personnel attend to him and uh, for a good 10 minutes. And so here's what we know as of today, that he was sedated last night and he continues to be. And the reason for that, from what we're hearing, and we're going to get you know some great clarification uh, with our first guest, Dr. Christina Madison is going to join us here in a couple minutes, is uh, so they could do proper testing and they want the brain to have a cooling off period uh, so they can do further tests and to see if he can breathe on his own. Like I mentioned, he's on a on a ventilator right now. But I think first and foremost, as we're sad and it was disturbing to watch, frightening and scary to watch, we have to give credit to the medical personnel because the medical personnel saved his life for the time being. And we hope and are praying that DeMar Hamlin recovers from this. And if he does, it will be because the medical personnel using the defibrillator and acting quickly the way they did last night. All right. So we are going to be talking about this from many different angles and uh, join us now. Uh, Dr. Christina Masson, of course, she joins us on a a regular basis, but it's been a while since we've got a chance to to, to talk with her. And I thought today would be a great time uh, to let her speak uh, on this as well. So Dr. Christina, first of all, happy new year and great uh, to hear from you uh, again today, despite this, uh, these circumstances. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, TC. Uh, it is definitely a, a somber, uh, start to the new year. Um, there was also, um, an incident where there was, um, uh, one of the stars of the Avengers movies. He was in, uh, an, a snowplow accident where he suffered, um, a, a cardiac uh, incident and had to be rushed to the ICU and is in critical condition as well. So it's definitely um, a very, um, as I said, somber start to the new year. Um, but really, um, again, wanted to echo the sentiment that you made earlier about, you know, the haste and the vigor of the medical personnel um, and really wanted to emphasize the importance of knowing um, CPR and basic life support and the use of an AED, which is a defibrillator, which is what they used on the field. Mm-hmm. What was your immediate reaction? I don't know if you were watching the game live last night, but what, what was your immediate reaction when you you know, either watched it live or saw the replays and seen DeMar Hamlin collapse? So I was, I did not see the, the play live, but when I saw the replay, the first thing that came to my mind was, is this a, 
you know, was this a cardiac incident or was this some sort of a TBI? Um, but based on sort of the way he fell and the fact that he got up, he didn't stumble, um, you know, it really did seem like it was, was less a, a brain trauma issue and more of a cardiac issue. Um, you know, looking at, you know, some of the background around um, this kind of incident happening in the past. If you look at the history, um, obviously we don't know all of the specifics about his medical condition, but the thought process is that he he suffered um, this blunt force trauma-induced cardiac arrest, which basically means that um, it was, you know, perfect timing, you know, that he was hit um, over the top of the heart with so much force that it actually disrupted the electrical uh, conduction of the heart, which basically means it caused an arrhythmia and it caused the heart to stop. And so that's why he didn't, you know, immediately stay on the ground after the tackle because the arrhythmia didn't occur right away. It was within a few seconds. Um, and usually when you see that kind of thing happen, it's actually seen more in baseball and in youth sports um, where you see that happening where a player has been hit with a baseball um, and this has occurred. And so, again, it's definitely more common in men, definitely more common in as a sports-related injury. But, you know, as someone who has worked in hospital and has seen someone who has gone into a cardiac arrest, um, has had a patient um, who has passed away, has been in training when that's happened and had to have an attending or, you know, a preceptor come to you and talk with you about what happened, you know, that's a traumatic event. But when you think about what happened to these players, you know, it's basically like one of your coworkers suffered, a, you know, a cardiac arrest in your workplace, you know, and to see that and to witness that and to have to, you know, be around when someone is being worked on, you know, this is, this is not for the faint of heart. You know, what they did was the no hand CPR. Um, and that can break ribs. That can be very painful for the person who it's being performed on. Obviously it's, it's to save their life, but, you know, seeing that in person, I mean, it's, it could be pretty traumatic and I, I can't imagine being outside of a, a medical facility and seeing that happen and knowing even though there's the best and the best there and, you know, they're, you know, within miles of a level one trauma unit, how scary that must have been thinking that like your brother basically could die on the field with you. And I believe the 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 proper the terminology for this is what it, it's a commodio cordis. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And, and well, we can't confirm that okay. as of right now because obviously we don't have his labs and we don't have all of the tests. But I, yes, that I've is heard the some doctors process. actually believe. Yeah. they say that they believe that that from what you know what we've seen and what we've heard. Um, you know, from the hospital. And uh, to, so to go back to the impact of the hit, and I think you did a great job of, of describing that. I mean, really, this is a fairly normal football tackle in the sense it's not your textbook tackle, which, you know, where you're grabbing someone's legs and you're taking them to the ground. I mean, let's be honest, we do not see that. And this is like, you know, for me, this is one of my pet peeves where football is gone right now. And People always talk about, well, how can we make the game safer? Well, if we got back to regular, normal tackle football when you tackle like that, but right now the way we've seen tackling taught is you're throwing, you're thrusting your body, and it's more shoulder blocks, and it's more violent physical contacts, which, again, you know, makes this game as, phys you know, the physicality th that it is. But this was... This was not your textbook tackle. This was a common tackle in, in today's game. But what was different about this, and what I was concerned with, is he came to meet T. Higgins, the wide receiver for the for the Bengals, 
and kind of basically threw his body into him. And T. Higgins kept moving forward and kind of plowed him down himself. And it was seems to be the the for the force brunt of you know right in that that chest area, that heart area, like you described. And there was a collision there to the chest. And then because of the timing of the rhythm of the heartbeat that caused this type of reaction, it, it seemed to to happen this way, the way you described it, where you have five or six seconds, and then boom, he 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 faints and he collapses. Is that a pretty fair assumption that that's exactly what happened? I mean, again, all things being equal and not having all of the facts, yes. You are correct. And basically, you know, the, the thought process there is that the impact was not just that it was so great, but that it was at the right time right. that it disrupted the heart rhythm and caused that sudden cardiac arrest. And I think what most people think of when they think of a cardiac arrest is they think of a heart attack. But the the truth is, is that the heart attack is actually just a term that we use that is part of sort of a multitude of things that can cause a cardiac arrest. So with a heart attack, that's from um, some sort of a blockage where there's no more blood flow and then the heart stops. This is more of a of an electrical issue, right? So if you think about the heart muscle as being basically a giant battery, it's as if somebody, you know, disconnected the battery suddenly, and now you have to jumpstart it, which is basically what they did with the AED. And so it was a good, you know, it was a good sign that they were able to get him access to that defibrillation so quickly after the cardiac arrest happened. That's going to help with survival. Um, and then also they got him early access to oxygen. And then, you know, as you mentioned before, there's going to be this cooling off period because, you know, we're trying to you know, they say, you know, time is muscle and, you know, muscle is, you know, related to how much blood and oxygen are in the body. That's why we recommend doing the um, hands only CPR, because most of the time when you see something like this happen, it's not a pulmonary issue, meaning that somebody's lungs are not the problem. It's the fact that their heart can't pump blood that already has oxygen in it to the rest of the organs in the body. And so if we can keep that heart pumping, then we can get oxygenated blood to the rest of the body, including the brain, most importantly. Dr. Christina Madison joins us and talking about DeMar Hamlin. Uh, and he currently sits in a Cincinnati hospital, the Cincinnati University of Cincinnati Medical Center, uh, sedated and continues to be in critical condition. Do we know, or or do you know, what survival rates are for this type of thing? Because like you said, we've seen other people that have gone through this. This has happened before. It, it, it is rare. But do we know what survival is like? So, you know, what I have seen is anywhere from you know, 40 to 60%. And that is based on um, access to early intervention, meaning early access to um, CPR defibrillation through an AED, as well as the underlying health and wellness of the person that the um, cardiac arrest happened to. So the more fit and healthy the person was, the more likelihood of you know, survival, as well as early access to those interventions that can save their life. So, you know, I mean, he did get access to all of those things, um, you know, very early on. I, I, you know, I looked at the timeline um, that most of the, you know, the reports have had, and it looks like he was, he got access to everything within minutes 
of um, losing losing consciousness and collapsing. And so that is all very good. Um, you know, that early defibrillation, like I said, that conductivity of the heart, making sure that the heart is beating because it's like a battery, um, that is needed within five to seven minutes because the longer the heart is not working, the longer the body goes without oxygen um, because the blood is not pumping. So that that's the key is, you know, the underlying health of the person and then also how early they got access to that hands-free CPR as well as the, the use of the AED or the defibrillator. So, you know, one thing that I would really love for the audience to know is that um, this isn't just something that could happen at a sporting event. You know, this is something that could happen anywhere. I, you know, uh, knock on wood that I won't have to do this again, but I was in a parking garage at Fashion Show Mall and saw somebody um, fall in a parking garage and ended up having to do um, CPR. So you never know where you may need this skill. You know, we're in the middle of an opioid crisis right now. People may need access to Narcan. Um, there are all different reasons why people may suffer some sort of a cardiac or event. And so understanding um, sort of basic life support and and that hands-free CPR and knowing where to go to get an AED. Every casino in this town has access to an AED and has multiple of them on property. And so, you know, take a look around when you're out and about and see, you know, where these things are. And, you know, if you see, um, you know, this happen, um, you know, you should be prepared. And so I would just highly recommend people to take a CPR class. You know, you can do it through, um, you know, the Red Cross, um, you can, you know, access it through an online course, the American Heart Association. You don't have to be a healthcare professional. These are things that could save someone's life. Well said by Dr. Christina Madison. We mentioned the the sedation, and they said they wanted DeMar to be sedated for at least 24 hours so they can, again, let the brain relax and that sort of thing. What type of, of testing would he have had last night, or would he... Is he going to go through here in the next, you know, 24 to 48 hours? What were they going to be looking yeah. for? Right. So there's, there's a few things, um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm looking at this from the perspective of like medication, right? Because I'm a pharmacist, I'm not a diagnostician, but ultimately when we see people in critical care, um, especially, you know, my experience was working in the trauma unit and, you know, this is when I was first starting out in my training, we were looking for, you know, signs of, you know, someone being alert, aware, um, you know, we would go through, you know, all of these different um, assessments to see, you know, is this person, um, are they just, is this due to an injury or is this due to something that is more significant, right? So, you know, some people could be in a car accident. They could be, you know, injured um, from a stab wound or a gunshot. Like there's all different reasons why people may end up in, in a trauma bay um, or needing emergency care or being in the, in the, um, in the ICU. And so once you've gotten to that point where someone requires um, medical intubation, meaning that they have to be, um, they have to have a tube down their throat so that a machine can breathe for them so that they basically were giving their lungs and in this instance, their heart arrests. And so the goal for all patients is to be able to get them off of that breathing machine as soon as possible. And so some reasons why someone may not be able to breathe able to breathe on their own is because something happened to their brain. And now the connection between their brain and their lungs is no longer working. And so their brain can no longer tell their lungs to breathe. In this instance, we are concerned that the reason why this person needs it is because their heart is no longer functioning properly. However, one of the things that was mentioned 
after he was admitted was that his vitals had, quote unquote, returned to normal. So what does that mean? Well, that means that at that point, they resuscitated him and there didn't seem to be any long-term damage. However, that was at that moment in time. We don't know if he needs, in addition to the machine breathing on his own, also medications to help his heart beat strong enough to pump blood to the rest of his organs and his body. And so those types of medications are called pressors. And so those are things that help the heart beat. Um, and so that's information that we don't have right now. So as far as testing, those would be the things that we would want to look at. Is his heart still beating strongly after we take away that medicine? Is his heart still beating strongly after we wean him or take him off of the breathing machine? So those are going to be the things that they're going to be looking at over the next few days to really determine if he needs more life support at this point, because that's really what critical care means. It means that you are unable to support your functions in order to sustain life. It's a great um, description there of, you know, what the different meanings are as we hear, you know, critical condition, uh, critical condition, stable condition, that sort of thing. So uh, I'm glad that you pointed that out. Uh, Dr. Christina Madison uh, joins us. The hospital is saying today that there will be no further updates today. What's the translation there if we're kind of trying to read in between the lines here? Is that good news or, or bad news? I think it is what it is. It's just mm-hmm. that there's no updates. And that's because we just have to wait and time will tell. That's the thing with these kinds of injuries, um, especially when it's unprompted and there's no uh, like reason why this should have happened, right, other than, say, an injury. So if you had someone who was, say, older and had uh, cardiovascular disease, um, you know, where they had a blockage in their heart because of cholesterol or they had high blood pressure, right? Those are reasons why you could see the heart fail or the heart have some sort of sudden cardiac arrest. But in this instance, there were no underlying reasons or causes why this should have happened other than the sustained injury. And so that's why we just have to watch and wait to see, you know, how is he recovering? We need to give him and give his body time to heal after this injury. And so I think that's why they're saying there's no updates because really there isn't anything other than to just do watchful waiting um, at this point and to make sure he doesn't have any additional acute uh, events happening. So one of the other things too is that the fact that he hasn't had any additional cardiac events after this one, right? So if there was something else going on, so say he had some underlying heart condition that nobody knew about that was undiagnosed and this precipitated it, you would likely see another type of cardiac event. And the fact that that hasn't been reported is good news because it seems like this is an isolated incident and really we just have to wait and and hope that he recovers and that he's in that you know, 40 to 60% of people who, you know, recover and don't have any deficit following, um, you know, this cardiac incident. Because that's the other thing, too. It's not just survival, right? It's, It's him being able to get back to his quality of life that he had prior to this happening. Right. And so I think a lot of people are concerned, obviously, immediately because it was so devastating to see him, you know, not being able to breathe and laying on the ground and, you know, having to get CPR and all of these things. But, you know, we have to think about this is a 24-year-old who has, like, the rest of his life ahead of him. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's his quality of life going to be? Right. 
Christina Madison uh, joins us. Uh, you know, every time we we hear of something like this, um, whether it's a severe injury or whether it's a debilitating injury or, like I said, a near-fatal injury, uh, people are going to say, hey, this football, it's a very dangerous sport. Uh, maybe this game should not be played or, you know, elements of the game should be changed. And we're hearing a lot of that again here in the last, you know, 20 hours or so, uh, as a doctor yourself and as a parent uh, yourself, um, how do you feel when you hear, you know, people saying things like, okay, I will never let my child, you know, you know, play a football, uh, play football or any other sport like that. Um, and I think you've made some, some great comments and points there. Like this isn't just isolated to football. This could happen anywhere or any given time. But with all that being said, um, what, uh, what is your take as, as a doctor and a mother? Well, um, I do have a son. He is six, almost seven. Um, and, you know, at this point, I do want him to, you know, have some sort of organized sport. Um, I don't know if, you know, something that is so um, physically taxing where there's a high rate of possible injury is something that I would want for my son. But again, I think that that's every parent's individual choice. And so for me, I think um, it's, it's risk versus benefit, right? I've talked about that several times, even when I talked about COVID. Uh, it's, you know, what is the benefit, like the physical uh, benefits of playing the sport versus the risk of possible injury? And so, you know, that's really going to be based on the level of play, um, you know, obviously the higher they get up in, um, you know, within sports like the Pop Warner and those kinds of things, um, it does get pretty physical. And so I think that would be an individual decision for each parent. Um, I definitely wouldn't want to make that decision for any other parent. Um, obviously for me, um, that is something that I would want to consider for my own, you know, my own child. Um, but when we look at it just based on facts, right, if we're just looking at the facts and we're looking at the way that the game has been played in the last five to ten years, we have seen, you know, every time something like this happens, something changes and then something else happens. So it's like cause and effect, right? So when we changed the way that the uniforms were, when we changed, um, you know, the padding, when we changed placements and the holds and the tackle, everything has a consequence, right? And so we changed the way we did one thing, but now this opened up a different aspect of the potential risk for harm. And so I think it's really looking at the sport as a whole and thinking to ourselves, is the benefit of the play, mm. Right. Is that, does that outweigh the risk of injury, harm, and in some instances, death, right? Because there wasn't one instance of someone dying on the field. Does it outweigh that? And really, is, is one death enough? Is two deaths enough? I mean, who, who is to say, like, that one person's death is not enough to say that this is no longer something that we should be doing. I mean, if you think about baseball, right, there's a lot of changes that baseball made because of, you know, the athleticism making it so. You know, people weren't throwing 95-mile-an-hour balls when baseball first started, and now they do. And so they have to wear helmets and they have to wear shields because of the risk for TBI. Mm -hmm. So what are we doing? You know, like we got to really reevaluate, like, is this worth it? She is Dr. Christina Madison, uh, our resident uh, physician here. And um, before I let you go, I want to get a, a quick thought uh, from you, because as we know, it's wintertime. Uh, CES is coming to town or is here in, in Vegas, which means... Tourists from other countries are here. There's a lot of uh, serious testing that are that is going on uh, right now. 
Uh, how concerned are you that uh, we could be facing another outbreak of COVID? So, great question. And then also just a quick clarification. I'm a pharmacist by training, um, but I do uh, uh, do a lot of direct patient care. Um, so, I will say this. Um, with CES, um, in particular, because they did implement testing requirements and vaccination requirements for all international travelers. I think that the risk is probably lower than it would have been if that hadn't been implemented. So CES officially starts on the 5th um, and it goes through the 8th. And so anybody who is coming from another country, um, they are highly uh, encouraged to uh, be fully vaccinated. Um, they have to test before they can pick up their badge. Um, and then also, uh, if they uh, are not vaccinated, then they have to prove a recent negative COVID test. Um, and so I think, you know, some of those provisions, um, as well as offering um, masks um, at the event, um, is, is going to be helpful um, but again, I've, I've told anyone who plans to attend, um, you know, because there will be so many international um, travelers here, uh, that it is probably uh, better to be safe rather than sorry and to just wear a mask, especially because those convention halls are going to be packed. And um, it's anticipated that the amount of people that will be here for CES this year will be rivaling or, if not exceeding, that that we saw in 2019. So uh, definitely want people to uh, be safe, uh, wash their hands, um, bring some hand sanitizer with you. And if you haven't gotten your booster dose yet, go out and get your booster shot. There you go. Well said. All right, uh, Christina, appreciate it. Uh, as always, uh, look forward to seeing you very soon. Happy New Year to you, the family. Uh, Continue success to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And again, I'm sorry it's under such somber. Uh, oh, that's my daughter. <laughs> there she is. There, there's that wild child. There you go. There she is. Like said, there's my, that is my wild yeah, child. All right. Because I did take the day off today. <laughs> She's saying, Mom, that's enough. Okay. You're talking to TC again. That's enough. Okay. That's fine. That's okay. Next next time, it'll be under different conditions. And we'll get you uh, to make some football picks for the playoffs. How's that? <laughs> Sounds awesome. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you, Dr. Christina Madison and family there. All right. When we come back, uh, we'll update you on a statement uh, from the NFL as we uh, continue to talk about the DeMar Hamlin uh, situation. Uh, Again, any further breaking news that happens uh, during the course of this show, we will update you. But again, I appreciate Dr. Christina Madison to give us her insight um, regarding that. Uh, great stuff. All right, we come back. We've got that and some terrible Tuesday takes. Now, now, more from your favorite sports radio physician. That boy is good. The Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, we continue on talking today about Damar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills safety, who is at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center in critical condition. Uh, the hospital will offer no other updates uh, today. And again, uh, he has uh, been sedated since last night. And um, so I guess that is good news. And talking to Dr. Christina Madison, who we just had on, um, saying that uh, there is a good chance uh, for um, recovery. Big question is what kind of quality of life uh, will he have? But uh, getting through uh, those early stages, uh, very, very key. And the medical personnel that saved his life, again, uh, at least for the time being, operated fantastically last night uh, on the field at the stadium there in Cincinnati. So we'll continue to update you on that. The NFL released a statement uh, today. And their statement as follows, the NFL continues to be in regular contact with the medical team caring for DeMar Hamlin and also the Bills and Bengals organizations and the NFL Players Association. After speaking with both teams and the NFL PA leadership, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell informed the clubs today that the Bills-Bengals game will not be resumed this week. The NFL has made no decision regarding the possible resumption of the game at a later date. The league has not made 
any changes to the Week 18 regular season schedule. We will continue to provide additional information as it becomes available. And I know that a lot of people, we saw this last night, that, you know, they don't want to talk football. They, you know, they're just concerned about DeMar Hamlin's health, which understandably so. But, you know, people are saying, well, why did the NFL wait so long to make this decision last night to whether to postpone the game? Well, the way I look at it and viewed this last night is as follows. The NFL did not want to be insensitive to this situation. And there were comments in which we found out later were false comments made by either Joe Buck or the ESPN broadcast last night saying, Oh, well, you know, they're going to take five minutes and try to, you know, get their focus back and warm up. I think Joe Buck used that term to warm up as we found out that that was not the case at all. Um, when this happened last night, um, uh, Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, was with his team. And Zach Taylor was with the Cincinnati Bengals, his team. And then after seeing the ambulance leave, Zach Taylor marched over to the Bills bench and talked to Sean McDermott. They had a conversation saying, hey, what do you want to do here? This is, you know, I I, I can imagine your guys are shook up. Our guys are shook up and this and that. I mean, T. Higgins. The guy who had the collision with DeMar Hamlin. Imagine how he feels today as well, too. Uh, and all these players that shared the field, because this is a brotherhood. They all feel bad. As much as they want to inflict as much pain and punishment on each other, and we're doing that for the first nine and a half minutes of this game. Now, no one wants to see this. No one's used to this. So, but the NFL has a game that needed to be played and they have a schedule that they have to be concerned with because remember what this game meant last night. Okay. These were two teams along with the Kansas city chiefs, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Kansas city are battling for that top overall seat, which is a huge deal in football related matters. Okay. We're talking football right now. And no one knew the severity of the situation. There was talk that the Bills just wanted to know how their teammate, DeMar Hamlin, was. I mean, was he awake? Was he revived? You know, thumbs up. Is he going to be okay? Well, his heart stopped on the field. He was revived. His heart was restored. So he knew that much when he got into the ambulance. But unconscious. So obviously, the Bills... We're not thinking about playing football. And really the Bengals weren't thinking about playing football at that time either. But the NFL, Roger Goodell, being in New York, wherever he was at, not there in Cincinnati, this is a call to postpone the game, suspend the game. That's not a coach's decision, a team's decision. That falls in the NFL. And maybe ESPN could have done a better job of this last night. We'll get into that here in a minute. But That's why Roger Goodell and his staff were trying to find out as much as they knew about the situation not being there, about DeMar Hamlin and what his health was at that point in time. It was going to be virtually impossible to restart this game. And again, we had nearly an hour of fans still sitting in the stands with no communication. Just a note up on the scoreboard. Uh, it wasn't until finally they came to the decision to say this game is not going to be played tonight. Then minutes later, the PA announcer in the stadium told everybody to go home. This game is not going to be resumed. So it's not insensitive on the NFL's part because they have to try to find a way to either resume this game or decide how is it going to go down in the record books and how is it going to affect the playoff seedings. Because right now, every other team, the other 30 teams, are going to have 17 games, you know, played coming up here after Sunday. If this game is not resumed, which it looks like it will not be, the Bills and the Bengals are going to have one less game, and that will factor in where they are seated. Now, they're all going to make, both teams are going to make the playoffs, 
They're going to be division winners, but that seeding is crucial, especially if you're talking about hosting AFC Championship game in Buffalo versus Kansas City or Cincinnati. Every team wants to have the home field advantage here. So when you look at where everything stands right now record-wise, Buffalo's 12-3, and Kansas City's 13-3, and Cincinnati's 11-4. and so a Buffalo a, a Buffalo loss last night would have put Cincinnati and Buffalo deadlocked in a tie, and that really would have helped Cincinnati and then have the head-to-head victory against the Buffalo Bills. So that is what the NFL is talking about today. It does not mean they're not concerned about the health of Tamar Hamlin, because obviously they are. But that's what that was all about last night. All right. So back to the coverage last night of what took place with ESPN. It's Terrible Tuesday. This is my ter- what Terrible Tuesday take. The ESPN coverage of what took place on the field last night was, how do I say this? It left a lot to be desired. Granted, no one was expecting this. They were there to broadcast a football game with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. But when DeMar DeMar Hamlin was injured, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman had very little to say. We heard them, Joe Buck, say, well, our cameras really can't get in there because the Buffalo Bills team is, you know, blocking the cameras or whatever, which deservedly so. They want to see their brother here. And they want to know how he's doing, but they don't want this thing to unfold on television. And I get that. And then if you're a TV producer or a director and a cameraman, I mean, you are told to, hey, you know, broadcast or, you know, shoot the game, get the inside, you know, scoop, see what's happening here. But everyone was just kind of thrown into, you know, a pause mode here, which it should be. But here's where ESPN blew it last night. After Joe Buck and Troy Aikman really had not much to say and said, there's really not much for us to say here. Well, the viewer would like to know what's going on at home. So they threw it back to the studio. And you go to the studio, and of course, totally unprepared you know, for this. But your studio host was Susie Kohlberg. She was anchoring with former player Booger McFarlane and then NFL insider Adam Schefter. All right? So you have one of the three that played the game of football. Susie Kohlberg is a sideline reporter, and she's anchoring this coverage. And then Adam Schefter is, again, NFL insider, never played the game. They're asking them to basically fill time or to speak on the matter. And what we got out of them was nothing. They offered absolutely nothing in that studio. They were actually speechless. It was awkward. They were repeating themselves. And the basic part of their conversation they kept saying over and over was, well, this isn't about football, right? It's not about football anymore. Just thoughts and prayers to DeMar Hamlin and the Buffalo Bills. Let's don't even talk about football. Let's don't talk about me playing football. And they said, we, we really don't know what to say. So they threw it back to Joe Buck on the field. And then it goes back to commercials. And then it goes back to the studio. And then it's back to the field. It's back to commercials. And it comes back to the studio. And every time they're going back to the studio, those three are just sitting there numb. Not really saying anything. Giving anyone any information. And you can see that they're uncomfortable. And they were ill-prepared to handle this. So after about 20 minutes of this, I'm watching this and I'm going like, you have Lisa Salters there, your sideline reporter. And they go to her occasionally. And that's what a sideline reporter is supposed to do. Go down and try to get as much information as you possibly can. So I was curious. I was saying, you know, do other networks have this? So I flipped over to CNN, not knowing for sure if CNN would be covering, because this is, was a sporting event. Immediately, CNN was on this. You had Anderson Cooper. You had Dr. Sanjay Gupta. You had 
other doctors, you had other medical personnel, you had Wolf Blitzer, who's a diehard Bills fan, who's another anchor there at CNN. You had former players. You had Bob Costas, even though he really didn't have much to offer, and he admitted that he didn't have much to offer. But they had reporters at the hospital, and they gave us great insight. Why? Because CNN is used to ha- handling things of this nature. ESPN clearly is not. And what was sad and partially disgusting was to see ESPN just sit there and do nothing when it's their own broadcast. It was their football game. And they have the resources to give us more information. But they were so ill-equipped and ill-prepared with that crew from Joe Buck to Troy Aikman, and not really bagging on Troy Aikman at all, because, again, he's a former player, and they asked him, hey, Troy, you know, just like Jay Schrader called me last night and goes, hey, local Channel 8 wants me to go on. And he asked me, he goes, what should I say? I go, well, they just want an opinion of a former player, even though they know that you've never, ever been through this before, and you eloquently have to tell them, hey, I've never been through this before. This is uncharted territory, but they just like to hear from a football player's perspective. Well, I watched Jay on last night, and he did a fantastic job. Jay, great job. And I know, Jay, you can't hear us right now because Jay's in surgery. Getting his knee replaced right now. <laughs> and I wished him well last night and this morning. Prayers to you, my, my brother. But um, it was just really awkward and bad broadcasting from that point of view um, from ESPN. It was their own game, and they really offered nothing. At one point, ESPN went to six straight minutes of commercials. You know why? Because they had nothing to say. They didn't know what to say. People at home, this is your game. We're in tune, tuned to ESPN to watch the game. And then after seeing this horrible thing that happened to DeMar Hamlin, you're going to stay on ESPN because you want to try to get as much information as you can. So just terrible job of ESPN and trying to navigate their way through this. It's terrible Tuesday. That's what we do. And we talk about that. But just I'm talking about it because there are networks that are prepared for this type of thing and can handle it on a drop of a dime. We do these shows. You know how many shows I've had to do if a death has occurred, pandemics occurred, whatever, you know, just breaking news, whether it's you, a coach just gets fired an hour ahead of time or what you, 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 you have to deal with stuff like that. And you have to show some sort of professionalism from ESPN standpoint. They really didn't know what to do. So, you know, again, not the big story here today, but when we're talking about trying to find out what's going on and follow this coverage, um, you had to go to another network, another network that doesn't even cover sports and wasn't covering this game. All right, we come back on the other side of the hour. Uh, we're going to talk to Chuck Esposito regarding the betting of this game. We'll also talk to him about the NFL Week 18 coming up, College Football Championship as well. Also coming up next hour, Houston Nutt's going to join us, and we'll talk uh, to the coach. Uh, works with CBS Sports. We'll get his takes on this. And when we come back, you will hear from Aaron Rodgers and some interesting thoughts from the Packers quarterback about what took place last night in Cincinnati.